I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's guest is Dave Neff, the Chief Revenue Officer at Prolific, a strategic growth and consulting firm. Dave has a passion for building compelling brands, creating strategic partnerships, empowering winning cultures, and accelerating revenue growth and impact. He's done that throughout his career at organizations such as the Pacers, Exact Target, and most recently as president and CEO of Edge Mentoring. As you'll hear in his story, there's a unique blend of stewarding relationships and a relentless focus on execution that has shown up throughout his journey and has gotten him to where he is today. As Dave says, you have to have a belief in your own abilities and keep a relentless focus on execution. Execution and doing the work is far more impactful than a million great ideas. Listen in as he shares some very practical strategies that have supported his success throughout his career. I grew up uh, in Indianapolis, and uh, went off to Ball State University and had a great four years there and uh, received my degree in sports administration and was fortunate to, to land a job in the field that I actually went to school for back in 2007, uh, came right out into working for Pacer Sports and Entertainment, home of the Indiana Pacers and the Indiana Fever. And that was a great sort of breeding ground for my career and, and a lot of tiebacks to what I've done throughout my career and what I'm even doing today. So I was there from 2007 to 11 and in, in a number of sales and marketing roles and uh, left there as our director of suites and premium seating. So I was in charge of selling all of the suites and some of the club seats there at Bankers Life Fieldhouse where the Pacers and Fever play, uh, as well as managing a small team. And I would say that that, that experience at the Pacers really opened my eyes. You know, I grew up here in Indy, but didn't come from a, a business family per se. My dad works in the medical field. And and so, um, you know, really just getting an up a front row view to just the business leaders and, and civic leaders that have really helped shape Indianapolis over the last, I'd say, 50 years was pretty eye-opening. And to have a brand like the Pacers on your business card allowed allowed me to be in some interesting rooms and just really take advantage and meet some interesting people. So, I was there for the first four years of my career, left there in the fall of 2011 to work for a rapidly growing tech company called Exact Target, which was email marketing software, and uh, joined there in, in the marketing department as sort of our global sports marketing manager. And I had built a relationship with ET, as we like to call them, through the Pacers. So sold a suite to Exact Target, got to know a number of their leadership and and the NBA was headed into a lockout. And so I was just feeling it was time to kind of move on and spread my wings a bit. And so jumped into tech without knowing a whole lot, uh, really was just drawn to the leadership and the culture at Exact Target and, and rode that for just under three years through, through a really exciting sort of uh, three years in, in Exact Target's life. We ended up getting acquired by Salesforce in the summer of 2013 for $2.7 billion, uh, which was, I think, the largest tech exit, certainly here in Indianapolis. So just got to see a lot, worked with amazing, talented people from all over the globe. It's kind of like the Google of Indianapolis. I remember people saying that at the time, but it was uh, really helped hone some of my marketing chops. I mean, we were marketing to the world's best marketers. And so that experience coupled with what I would call more sales, sort of customer service 
uh, just communications foundations at the Pacers really led me to my next step in my career, which is really being sort of the founding employee of Edge Mentoring uh, at the beginning of 2014, so six years ago. And a mentor of mine, leader of Elanco, which is a Fortune 500 company here in Indiana, out in Greenfield, uh, Jeff Simmons was really who recruited me into that role. And I'd been in a sort of an organic mentoring group with him and some other young guys for a few years prior to, to being the first employee at Edge, which was a sort of a startup nonprofit. But over the last six years, we just grew Edge kind of brick by brick. Talk, I know we're talking about execution today. And so it was uh, certainly had a bird's eye or a front row view again, just how you build, I think, something that can potentially have impact and and really do it without cutting corners or, or, or shortcuts. And I think that's the way, to, the way to do all things in life, really, if you want to strive for excellence. And so um, Edge became the nation's largest uh, whole life intergenerational mentoring uh, organizations. So we had about a thousand uh, mentors and mentees that directly were in edge over those six years. And uh, far more than that, when you when you take into account people that came to our events and our EdgeX conference, which we did annually for four years, that number would be far, far north of 10,000. But directly in the mentoring program was about a thousand men and women. And our mentees were young professionals, 22 to 32, and mentors are generally 40 and older. But really impactful, rewarding work um, that I could go on for for days about. But then just a few months ago at the end of 2020, uh, I'd kind of been just percolating uh, throughout 2019 on, you know, I've got a young growing family and, and, and really loved my time at Edge, thought I'd do it for a couple of years. It turned into almost six. And so it was kind of getting getting the itch and feeling kind of the call to go back into the private sector. And so landed here with a great uh, firm that I got to know through my time at Edge called Prolific, uh, which is the parent company to, to JDA Worldwide, which some people may know. It's a, that's a full-service marketing advertising agency. Prolific is a consulting firm focused primarily on strategic planning and, and some functions of management consulting. And so I've, I've been here for just about 90 days as chief revenue officer. And so we are passionate about working with high vision and high values leaders who really want to drive and maximize revenue and, and impact through their organizations, whether that's companies, businesses, nonprofits, you name it. So dozen, 13 years uh, of, of post-college experience and kind of a unique path, but I guess we all, we all sort of have our path, but every move has made, has made sense to me, I guess. So. And all part of the journey, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the transition from Exact Target or Salesforce because they've just been acquired to Edge. Because, you know, I think about you being at the Pacers and then Exact Target, large organizations, really strong brands, basically going to a startup with a very different, more of a missional focus. What was that transition like? Yeah, it was, um, again, on kind of to me personally, I'd been, I'd been experiencing what we would call Edge uh, for a few years uh, with this mentoring group that Jeff Simmons was leading and, and several of us young guys all in our 20s. And so I had gotten a taste of, you know, twice a month, we would have an hour long Skype call. and We'd talk about career matters. We'd talk about personal matters like relationships or finances. And, and there was sort of this, um, you know, faith Christian worldview lens to it, which was attractive to me as somebody who uh, whose faith is very important uh, to him. And so in some ways I'd experienced the product, just the market hadn't experienced the product, right? So, you know, to 
I remember just, I had just gotten married at the end of 2013. So you can imagine that conversation. My wife's from Louisville, Kentucky, and she had just moved here and, and uh, telling her she's a, she's a nurse, but telling her that, Hey, I'm thinking about going to this nonprofit startup. She wasn't overly thrilled um, after, after, you know, having a good, good job at a tech company here, but you know, through just a couple of months of talking about it, getting some wise counsel from people we trusted, praying about it. Um, at the end of the day, just felt like this was a, a calculated risk where, yes, I was betting on myself in some in some ways, but also this mentor who had who had impacted my life. And, you know, I always say in your 20s, I feel like you should find the best leader that you can work for. Don't worry about the money. Just just align yourself to the best leader who's going to push and stretch and challenge you and go do that job. Right. And, and get a lot, get broad experience versus just going deep and maybe one area. And so I don't think I realized how entrepreneurial it was going to be, but you know, there was no bench to uh, execute on the work. Right. So whether, whether it was um, just trying to recruit people into edge or whether it was our website or, or our email list or social media, I mean, that first year it was, it was all me until I could kind of hire somebody that second year to, to join me. So yeah, I think it, it came down to why did I make that move? It was a little bit of restlessness there at the end uh, at exact target and my role. And it was six months after the acquisition. I think a lot of people were asking themselves, would they write out that, you know, be part of the sales force, which is a great company, but certainly the culture was shifting. And so timing and um, the opportunity and a little bit of crazy belief that, Hey, I'm going to do this for at least two years, no matter how great it is or how terrible it is. I didn't want to throw in the towel, you know, six months in and, and obviously I ended up staying almost six. So uh, the organization continued to evolve. And I feel like every year it was a different challenge. Yeah. And now look at the brand that that has been built through Edge Mentoring. So congrats on your success there and congrats on your new role. So you said you're 90 days in. Yes. How's it going so far? It's good. You know, I, I had a lot of uh, trust built up with this organization and the leadership over here, the CEO, Brad Benbow. You know, we really got to know each other fairly well. You know, you never know exactly what it's like working at an organization until you're in it. But uh, I'd been a client of uh, Prolific. They did our strategic plan at Edge a few years ago and when we got a grant from the Lilly Endowment. And so spoken at one of their company meetings and they'd seen my body of work at Edge. So you know, there is always a transition, but I feel like this was one where there was just a lot of mutual trust. And so, and it, and it was a created role. So, you know, getting clarity on what does success look like is really important so that we're all rowing in the same direction. Um, but 90, 100 days in, I'm having a blast. It's been, it's been fun to fish in some, some different ponds, uh, as I like to say, but um, it's a very, while we've got more scale than Edge does, it's still a very much an entrepreneurial sort of practitioner culture versus maybe a, uh, a statesman, you know, sort of culture where you're, or an ambassador culture where you're kind of just letting things come to you. We're still going out and, and trying to make a lot of things happen. Well, and it sounds like a great opportunity to leverage all the experiences you've had in your career so far. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, I mean, I feel like from, like I said, sales at the Pacers to marketing at Exact Target to really building and leading an organization and managing a board and, and driving towards outcomes, you know, yearly on a scorecard. I mean, all of those things have, have been super helpful and informed kind of how I'm going about this role, even though I'm not the the CEO or the or the, the guy in charge. I know my role and I know kind of I was something I was very careful about as I was evaluating 
opportunities of, you know, how do you overlay your strengths, right? Uh, with an opportunity that's sort of tailored to that. And so somebody once told me, you know, when you're good at something, you can tend to tell everyone or, or maybe you're, maybe, maybe you're humble and you don't, but when you're great at something, other people tell you. And I thought, man, I think it was Walter Payton maybe that said that or it was attributed to him, but I was just, I, that kind of stopped me in my tracks of like, we all have those things where, you know, or hopefully you, you pay attention. Like what are those things that you hear repeatedly or maybe you don't hear it for a couple of months and someone's like, you know what, you're really good at this or X, Y, Z. And so I think, I think um, that's a powerful sort of reminder that sometimes when you're down on yourself, man, what I, I don't really have a unique differentiator, but I guarantee that if you pay attention, there's probably been a pattern where people say, you know what, you're exceptional. You're really good at this. Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks for the context. That's really helpful. You know, Dave, on this show, we like to dive into pivotal moments because those things end up becoming really great leadership lessons for our listeners. So when you think back through the experiences you've just described, are there some pivotal moments or some key lessons that jump out to you as really being important in your career so far? Definitely. I feel like, um, man, there's been, a, there's been a couple. I feel like each career move has certainly been a, a pivotal moment. You know, the decision to leave the Pacers, while, while, you know, exact target in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that was a great move. To me, I had kind of worked my way up at the Pacers. I was going to NBA league meetings at, at 25 or 26. I was, you know, starting to build some, some nice brand equity in the NBA. And so you kind of, I kind of felt like I was starting fresh when I went to exact target, you know, tech, I wasn't by no means, uh, you know, a tech expert. I was new. And I remember I went back to a Pacers game shortly after I'd started exact target. I was bumping into all these old colleagues. Everyone was like, oh, how's it going? And you just felt, and then some, I was with an exact target colleague. They're like, why did you leave this place? You know, to, to go, it sounds like you had a good thing going, but I think it was just kind of, again, I'm, I slow, I gradually worked my way, as you could probably tell, to this entrepreneurial realm at Edge and the Pacers. While a great experience, sometimes I felt like I was operating at you know maybe twenty twenty five percent of my capacity or horsepower. And then some of that's just certainly being an impatient millennial. But um, you know, going then to work at ET, while it was a little bit like fish out of water at first, um, it was a even at a thousand people, which was how many people were there when I started. It was still a very, I'd call it a intrapreneurial culture where the organization just felt flat. You know, if something was broken, you you own it, you just fix it, you run with it. I felt like we would get things done in a half half day or less that might have taken two weeks, you know, prior at, at you know. So it was just like, wow, like speed, speed does sort of win, right? In this space. So that move was big. And then obviously the move from from exact target to edge would probably be the most pivotal. Um, just because there was so much perceived risk. I remember a couple of people, you know, that didn't know me well, that, you know, a tweet or a LinkedIn message. Hey, what, you know, why are you making this move? You know, they just like, this seems like a really risky move on paper to go to some unknown thing when you're at a company that, you know, sell, like Salesforce now and to have that brand. So, you know, I think there's, um, it's a well-quoted quote, especially in entrepreneurial circles, but a successful entrepreneur, you have to be willing to be, sort of misunderstood for long periods of time, right? And so I don't think there's no no such thing as a overnight success. 
and edge still has a long ways to go and and i hopefully help lay a strong foundation but you know five years in was a lot different than the first year you know it wasn't like uh this just happened overnight maybe maybe when some people thought it did so yeah, if you think about the the growth you experienced and the the successes you experienced, what do you attribute those to? What worked well? Look, I've been I've been fortunate. Just I feel like a lot of amazing people have seen something in me and and have chosen to invest in me, and and I've really tried to steward those relationships well. Uh, again, the Pacers was such a great eye opener in that in that fact. And I remember I read a book probably my first year in at the Pacers called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. And it was all about, you know, building success one relationship at a time. And I, uh, I've just really tried to be a caretaker of, of the relationships in my life. And, you know, if I meet you for a coffee or for a meal to jot down just a few key things, uh, you know, in my contact for you in my phone or on my laptop, that when I see you three, six months, a year from now, I can, it can jog my memory, right? Because we all, we can't, we're not superhuman. I don't, I don't have like a photographic memory, but I can, you know, go the extra mile, jot a few notes down, document it. You got to kind of have a system uh, in order to leverage that to when I'm, when I see that person again in six months or a year, it's like, it can feel very genuine and authentic, even though I don't, I don't have that memorized by heart. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like I've been surrounded by great people. Uh, I try not to take that for granted. I try to steward those relationships well. And then I'm really not afraid to do the work. You know, I, I, I still feel like uh, I'm 35, but I, I've, I'm just getting started. You know, like there's so much that I want, want to do and I want to accomplish. You know, we're, we're, we're filming this, what, uh, a week after Kobe Bryant's death. And wow, you talk about that guy's impact globally. And, and everyone talks about his work ethic, right? You know, and he wasn't a perfect guy, but I mean, the guy just continued to put in the work for 20 years in the NBA and even when he was like the best and just the 4am and it's, you know, a little bit of that's the hustle culture. You got to be careful. You don't get too sweat, but I do think there's something of like so many people get a little bit of taste of success in their late twenties or early thirties and they kind of ease up and, and think they've arrived. And I, and I know I'm probably been guilty of that in the past, but I, I just, I want to kind of keep that hopefully a humble confidence and, and not allow ego to kind of override that. What does that look like for you putting in the work? Yeah, I think, um, well, depending on your role, you know, we've all got ways that we can um, kind of track our success. You know, I'm, I'm new in my role here at uh, Prolific and I've got maybe a big title chief revenue officer. Really, that comes down to I'm, I'm tasked with uh, getting us in the door and driving new business, uh, new opportunities, new revenue for Prolific. So, you know, I kind of told, told my boss here, hey, just proactively, I said, first hundred days, I'm going to have a hundred one-on-ones, right? And, um, you know, they may not all lead to material business out of the gate, but I think if I, there's a process, right? If I follow that process and I'm getting uh, the prerequisite sort of shots on goal, um, at that, at the end of the hundred days, I think I, sh- I should have, you know, 10 pretty, pretty meaty, uh, legitimate prospects. And so for me right now, it's, how am I having the right number of conversations and meetings and appointments that will ultimately then lead to pitches and hopefully close one new business, right? So that's a microcosm of my current world. But I think any role you're in, if you're in content marketing, it's like, wow, challenge yourself. How many pieces of content are you creating a week, right? Do you need to write three or five blog posts a week? I, I don't know. But I, I do think some people are like, well, you can't quantify my role. I think most roles... There, there is a way to quantify it. Certainly some of our roles maybe may, might be more qualitative or, or what have you, but I think um, 
that that to me is the only way you can really hold yourself accountable and hold others accountable is to really drill down and, and be like, what what is your activity? Because the activity will ultimately lead to, to outcomes. Well, and using you as an example, I mean, you you pro you said you proactively said to your boss, "I'm going to have in my first 100 day, I'm going to have a hundred one on ones." Like that's you putting measures in place. So, yes, some someone saying my job is not quantifiable. We'll find something to quantify. Look at your goals and what you're trying to accomplish, and what what is something? What what can you control? Absolutely, yeah. I I think. Um... I think I think a lot of people, frankly, just just like to use excuses. But I, I try not to use a ton of excuses. And look, I'm going to fall short, and I'm sure there'll be a quarter where we don't hit our revenue target and all that. But I want I don't want there to be any fingers pointed to say like, hey, we're not putting in sort of the work, right? And and I'm in sort of a ramp up year where this is a new field, this is a new space for me. But I'm planting a ton of seeds. I'm going to start watering those seeds, and and the team's going to start watering those seeds with our marketing efforts and and it's it's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah you've got to have a belief that it's going to happen. But we'll start getting this flywheel going, going, and and we'll see the results. I just, you know, you just got to kind of have that kind of that belief that um, it takes time, but you're, you're going to see the fruit, sort of of you know what's that the, the biblical, you know, you, you reap what you sow, right? And I and I believe that full, full wholeheartedly. So how do you stay in it? How do you, how do you keep going in the face of no or not now or it's not going to work naysayers? What keeps you going? So prolific. The, the reason we name prolific it's this idea of sort of abundance, right? And in a prolific world where we're not operating out of a scarcity mindset at all. And I think when you hear no or not yet, or you know, it can be it can be defeating. Or man, there's there's um, you know, there's just there's not enough of the pie out there for us or what have you. And I think in my view, it's like, there is, there's so much opportunity. Uh, we don't realize how big the world is and how many different organizations and people there are. And, you know, we're not just an Indianapolis firm, actually more of our, more of our work is with national clients outside the state, but we're also growing here. And so I think it's just kind of keeping a really big picture view on uh, the opportunity. You know, somebody once said this, you know, the abundance for scarcity mindset, which I know is well played now, but you know, there's not just one pie out there. I really believe that there's a baker, you know, in the back and the pies just keep coming out. And so if you think of it like that, it's like, wow, there's, there's so much opportunity. We, we can't, yeah, there's going to be tough weeks where maybe you get five no's or, or what have you, but you just gotta, you gotta keep going. And I think having a system and a process, you know, I create a weekly scorecard personally that kind of is my North star of what are, what are the outcomes I want to, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning, what do I want to see by Saturday morning? And I don't get a hundred percent every week, but it, it's stretchy and it keeps me kind of um, pushing uh, every week. Well, and then how are you, how are, cause you talked earlier about tracking your success. And I think that's, that's an interesting way to think about it. How do you, what does success look like for you at the end of your week? Yeah. So look, I think, some people can get really wound tight and, and almost uh, mechanical and robotic about that. You know, did you check every box and all that? And and while I can certainly lean that way as an achiever, you know, I'm also I'm a, I'm a, I'm married and I've got two young kids, and so success to me really is whole life. It's not just did I did I hit the market prolific this week, right? Am I did I take my wife on on a date night and, and am I spending intentional time with my kids? Did I that I exercise, you know, the four or five times and, and, or hit however many miles I want to run, you know, I mean, there's, 
I think it's, it's, it's all of that. Right. And so you got to define success for yourself. But for me, like I, I know my, my priorities and, and ultimately it's my faith is number one, my, my family's second, uh, works third. And, and I don't always spend my time accordingly. Uh, but I know that's, I know that's the priority for me. Right. Um, you got to work in relationships, friendships, somewhere in there. So everyone's got to do that for themselves. I think, you know, different stages of your life, you're, you're solving for different problems per se, right? Early in your life, you're raising a family. Maybe, maybe it is you got to solve for for money or maybe it's, no, I want to take the the job that's more impactful. You know, this is the time I want to go work for a nonprofit or, or you just want to continue learning. Maybe you're just somebody that loves the challenge of learning something new and that's the problem you're solving for. So I think that can look different things for different people and different seasons of life. That's good. Well, I think that's a good question, right? For everyone to be, to think through what, what does success look, for, look like for me? And then what I hear you saying, Dave, am I doing the right things? Am I doing the things that are going to lead to that? Do I, am I creating habits in my life that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I haven't read uh, The Power of Habit by, by Charles Duhigg. I know a lot of people have recommended that. But, you know, we, we all, whether we know it or not, are, are guided by sort of patterns and routines that that we've created and and many of us probably can acknowledge like, yeah, I wanna I wanna lose a few more pounds, right? You know, I need to know I need to be doing this. And it's it's really not that difficult. It's just kind of making that slight tweak tweak or pivot and not drinking soda for a week and then two weeks and three weeks and then and then all of a sudden the the craving's gone, right? But I mean it's it's hard, right? I mean life seems to move faster the older I get. And so you uh almost unintentionally or or can repeat bad habits that might might be holding you back and a certain area, whether that's professionally or in your health or mar- marriage or relationally with your, your children or friends. Yeah, I think it's um, it's that old adage, it's not what you do every once in a while that builds your reputation. It's what you do all the time, <laughs> every day. Those are, the, those are the things that help driving the legacy that you will leave. Yeah, it's not too dissimilar from compound interest, right? So, you know, it's it's a pretty understood concept in terms of our money and, and saving money or your 401k and just, you know, kind of compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. I feel like it's the same thing uh, in our habits, uh, in our relationships, right? And if you're intentional and in investing in relationships professionally, like that'll just start to compound. So the, the relationship pace I have now at 35, hopefully if I continue to you know, invest and be intentional at 45, it'll be that much more abundant 55 and then, you know, so on and so forth. So, uh, so absolutely. Yeah. The, um, the, in addition to the putting in the work and the execution that you've talked a lot about, like, yeah, the other clear theme I've heard throughout your experiences is being a caretaker of the relationships that you've had. Like, well, and it, but you're intentional about that. I mean, that's you executing on the relationships in your life, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, I've just observed that a lot of people, while they, while they say they take relationships seriously, it, it does take, it does take sort of just extra thought on a week to week basis, because if I'm just hitting you up when I need something from you, that, that can very quickly become and, and just feel very transactional. And, and Andrea, I'm sure you have people in your life where it's just like, you just know it. It's like, oh, so-and-so is reaching out. They, they need something. And and I I strive never to be that person. I'm sure I have been, but I really want to um, give and help and, and hopefully add value b- before I'm, I'm just taking, taking, taking. So yeah, there's there's an art to, th- art to that. 
And it takes, it takes work, certainly. Well, you definitely model that for sure. When we reconnected recently, Dave, and I had said, yeah, I know, I, th- I think we met. And you said, yes, we met on this day and at this place and here's who we were with and this is what we talked about and i was like what in the world how do you remember all that hopefully hopefully that wasn't too creepy or anything but yeah (laughs) no no i know your secret Uh, you're keeping tabs of those relationships (laughs) and that that had such a huge impact on me like that's like here's a guy who clearly is paying attention and that that uh that says a lot to people yeah it's a yeah some people have called it that a, a secret sauce if you will yeah, and so thanks for sharing your your simple tip there. I mean, that's something everyone can do is just jot down a few thoughts about people that that you connect with. Yeah, it really is simple. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just kind of at the end of a meeting, you know, at the end of a day, going the extra mile and taking five minutes and jotting down a few things. But again, in my experience, most people just won't do it. So if you're willing to do it, it could be a big differentiator. So if you could go back now... Any, anything, any advice that you would give yourself, like looking back on those pivotal moments, the moves that you've made, the experiences you've had, like any, any piece of advice you'd give yourself? Look, I know I'm an achiever. I don't know if you're into the Enneagram at all. I think that's a helpful tool and there's a lot of, you know, Myers-Briggs and DISC and all that. But I think uh, when you're an achiever, you know, it can, it can be, you can at times be a people pleaser, right? Or you just want to get things done for, for other people or to get a, you know, to, to please your boss or what have you. And I think, you know, something I'm still learning is um, you know, just having appropriate boundaries, right? And not allowing maybe certain individuals, whether that's your boss or somebody at work to, to loom too large in your life, right? Because, you know, now I'm at a stage where Work ethic has never been my issue, but um, I also need to have good boundaries so that I'm not always thinking about work, you know, seven days a week. I think we're more effective, right, when we rest and you can be fully present with family. And so that's ultimately on you and being able to push back if you've got some people that are trying to push those boundaries in your life. But I think at certain points in my career, I've probably allowed that to creep a little bit too much to where, you know, it takes me away from being really present when I'm at home even though I'm physically there, just emotionally, I'm I'm thinking about conversations from the day or when am I going to hear back on this or that? And so I think, again, that's something I'm in the process of still learning, but I think to, to young Dave, it's like, Hey, work hard, you know, control what you could control. And ultimately we're dealing with other humans. So you got to be careful about putting other people on a, on a pedestal, even though you might respect them, you know, we're all going to fail each other at some point. And so do the best that you can with what you've got. But don't, but don't allow certain people to maybe loom large or, or put them on a pedestal because they'll ultimately fail you. Yeah, keep the focus on what, how you're showing up, what you can do in that situation versus giving them all the power is what I hear in that. 100%. What a great takeaway. So in addition to that, I mean, I'm walking away from the conversation just with a reminder of just how important tracking the success of myself, my team you know, being willing to put in the work and focus on how we're executing towards our goals. And then just all the conversation about relationships, being, being a steward of relationships, particularly those, those key relationships in our lives, never taking those for granted, but continuing to, to stay focused and intentional about building those, building those people up. 
Definitely. Yeah. And I think that second point, you know, back to my earlier quote about, you know, when you're good, you tell other people when you're great at something, people tell you. And that that's something that certainly has been affirmed of, oh, Dave, you know, Dave's a connector. He's a great at convening people. Well, you know, there's a there's a method to sort of the madness. I don't. Yeah, it's a gift, but it's something, again, that I that I work work hard at. And um, I do think, you know, it's an easy thing to at times sort of take for granted. Right. But I'm, I'm a I'm just a firm believer. I, I love kind of when I know there's going to be a powerful connection between two people that don't know each other. Um, I love to make that happen just because I know it'll bring richness to both of their lives and, and it brings me great joy in sort of making it happen. Plus, I think it's just, you know, a more connected city in the case of Indianapolis makes for a better city. Right. And so uh, crossing maybe some sectors or worlds that wouldn't normally cross paths, I think, I think is really, really powerful and ultimately better for everyone. Well, Dave, thank you so much for sharing, sharing these insights. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'd say probably the best way is uh, on LinkedIn, uh, just Dave Neff. I mean, I'm on Twitter and the other ones, uh, probably not as active. And then if you, you don't want to dr- drop me a note, my email is simply dneff at prolific.world. dneff at prolific.world. So happy to connect. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 